Welcome everyone to this week's Dig in Español podcast. I am your host, Rosaura Montes. This week's podcast features our Dig in Español editorial advisor, Teresa Puente. She teaches a variety of classes at Long Beach State while still working as a journalist. Puente has previously worked at the Chicago Sun-Times and her first part-time teaching job was at Guadalajara, Mexico. We start off this episode by talking about The Last of Us which features Pedro Pascal. I'm a big fan of Pedro Pascal. I didn't know anything about the game at all. I just saw it on HBO Plus and really started watching it because it was Pedro Pascal. But actually, the episode, the last one, you know, and I think this does relate back to the power and strength of women without, you know, spoiler alert, without giving away too much of the plot, you know, the Pascal character is helping a uh, a young girl who basically try and save the human race and so he initially starts as her protector but in the last episode she's confronted with a lot of violence and it's really quite dramatic and you keep and he's looking for her and you keep thinking that he's going to save her and break in to save her like be the hero the guy saving the young woman but it turns out she saves herself she's she's like a preteen and she's incredibly fierce and strong and she defends herself. I really liked how that episode, you know, she did have the man come rescue her. She, as a young woman, like fought off an attacker and saved herself. And I think that's a really powerful message for Women's History Month that, you know, there are so many guerreras, you know, warrior women, chingonas out there, and that we don't need people to save us. <laughs> we can save ourselves. It is uh, Women's History Month. Who are some women in your life personally that like inspire you today? Well, personally, I want to start with my mom. <laughs> you know, the most personal, my mom and I have three sisters and they're all brilliant, you know, in part because we have a really strong mom. I don't mind sharing that when I was around 10 years old, my parents divorced and my mom became a single mom with five kids. And the most important thing she emphasized to us was the education, get an education. Both she and my big sister, who's 10 years older than me, were my role models. I remember as a little girl, maybe I was 10 or 11, and my big sister was in college, and me and my little sister would go spend the night with her at the University of Illinois, like overnight in the dorm room, and just, you know, we're little kids walking around this college campus, and it was very inspiring to me because I saw her to go to college, go to college. And I knew that I would go to college. At that point, I had no idea that I would actually become a college professor. That's kind of incredible if you think about it. And then in terms of my mom's educational journey, she's so inspiring for me. So my mom was one of 14, 11 who survived into adulthood. My mom was born in Texas. She's Tex-Mex. And in the 1950s, her family uh, migrated around the Midwest. They were farm workers. And they wound up on a farm outside Chicago picking tomatoes. And my mom was the youngest and her older sisters convinced the parents, like, let's stop farm work. There's a lot of jobs in factories. Let's all go work in factories. You know, equally hard work, but they just wanted uh, maybe more stability. And so my mom said yes. She wanted to stay in Chicago, but she's like, I want to go to high school. I want to go to school. And she advocated for herself without having any role model 
she had no woman before her in her family that had finished high school. And by my mom, but then her parents said, well, you have to get a job. Um, instead of factory work, my mom found a job in a department store in Chicago. And she went to high school and worked at the department store. And she was the first woman in her family to graduate from high school. She even tells a story of like on her graduation day, you know, no one in her family was going to go to the ceremony. She literally pulled her mother out of the house to go with her because she knew like it was important that someone witnessed that. Flash forward, as I mentioned, my mom, my mom and dad divorced and my mom went to community college and then uh, transferred to a four-year university. And so I also remember going with her to community college and hanging out there while she was in class. And then she wound up going to Northeastern Illinois University in um, Chicago, and she got her degree in bilingual education. The beautiful thing about this is that my mom and my big sister graduated from college the same year. That experience, I think, is what led me to where I am today. You know, I am the only Latina woman in a tenure track in the journalism and public relations department at Cal State Long Beach. And uh, in so many ways, I've been a Latina first. I was the first Latina or Latino person ever on the Chicago Sun-Times editorial board. You know, in many places, I've been the only Latina or one of just a few my whole career. And I really think it was my mom and my big sister who, you know, paved the way for me. Wow, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's very powerful. Going to the college dorms with your, your sister as a little girl and seeing your mom later on, you know, how did you become a journalist first? There are two things in my childhood that I think shaped me becoming interested in journalism. One is that my mom took my little sister and I to the library. I remember sitting in the library, library card, and also there was like this book club thing you could fill out this form and they'd mail you a book a month like I loved reading and my mom supported that and would take me and my little sister to the library and then the other thing is that you know remembering from when my parents were together my dad read the newspaper every day religiously I saw him read the paper he would put, take out you know sit there read the paper he would react to things in the news. My dad's very passionate about politics which I think I inherited that from him and just my passion for the news I inherited from my dad. So I think my mom taking me to the library and my dad reading the newspaper like shaped me just being a love a lover of words and knowing that like what was in the newspaper is important and I still hold that value today. How I got into journalism was in high school and my teacher, Mr. Curry, actually told me, Hey, you're a good writer. And I was like, What? I had no idea. No one in my whole life had ever told me that. He's like, yeah, you're a great writer. You should try out for one of the journalism clubs. So in my high school, we had a newspaper, a yearbook, which was more magazine style, and a TV show. With his encouragement, I got involved in the yearbook and eventually became a writer and one of the editors my senior year. And then I wrote TV scripts for our newscast in high school. That's how I got interested in journalism. And I think that also shows the power of education, like a teacher saying, I believe in you, you have talent, you should go for this. And I, I try to tell that to my students too. I really try to be encouraging that way. I had a teacher believe in me and it changed the course of my life. I never would have considered journalism if that teacher hadn't told me. I decided when I was about 16, I wanted to be a journalist and I never wavered. And that's what I've done my whole life, turn, be a journalist.
I've worked at the Chicago Tribune, the Chicago Sun-Times. My most recent work's been published in Time, Newsweek, The Hill, and I never wavered for it. And now, primarily, I'm a journalism educator, but I still publish. I'm the opinion editor for Calo News, a new Latino, Latina, Latinx-focused site for California. I am a mentor editor and help people get published through the op-ed project. So I'm still very active in journalism, but I, I got the journalism bug in high school and it's it's all I've ever wanted to do. You are the first teacher that teaches bilingual journalism here at CSULB. And you started off with Dig in Espanol and it started as a website and it's, you know, it's a magazine now, it's grown to something bigger. But what was it like launching this first Spanish language magazine in Long Beach that's now bilingual? I am proud to say that when I was recruited or applied to teach at Cal State Long Beach, the job description at the time was professor of Latino journalism. So I have to give credit to the chair at the time and the faculty who acknowledged that that was needed. Long Beach is an HSI, Hispanic serving institution. Around half of our students in journalism are Latino, Latina or Latinx, and they brought me in to specifically develop Latino, bilingual, Spanish language. You know, when I came in, we weren't sure exactly what it was going to be, but that was part of why I came to Long Beach and also what drew me to Long Beach because I felt that the campus and the department supported me doing Latino journalism projects. In the beginning, we didn't know what it would be. I knew that I would teach a bilingual journalism class, so we took an existing class and made it a bilingual version and then eventually was able to create a standalone class with a bilingual magazine reporting production. In the early semesters, we posted work on a class blog called Voces de la Playa, and then applied, had to apply twice, and the second time got funding to do the magazine in Spanish. So we have just finished, was our eighth magazine in Spanish, and we're in our ninth edition. We do one a semester, and really it was the students, my editing team, who are all brilliant and amazing students, bilingual journalists at Cal State Long Beach. They pushed that we should go bilingual, and I said, okay. Let's do it. So we actually just sent it to the printer uh, yesterday, and we will have. Uh, we should be in the newsstands March twentieth, and we're having a launch party on March twenty second on campus. So what was it like working in these newsrooms? You know, like the Chicago Sun Times, and you know there weren't that many other like Latino reporters. Like, what what did that feel like? Well, I'm going to be honest. It's not easy. Women and people of color and also LGBTQ people are underrepresented in the media, in stories, but also on the staffs of all media. There's no media organization that has parity. What does parity mean? If LA County or is like almost 50% Latino or the state of California is most 40% Latino, um, then parity would be 40 to 50% of their journalists in the different newsrooms would be Latino. We are far, far, far from that. It's just not even close. I share with statistics. I share with my students statistics from the American Society of Newspaper Editors, RTDNA. I mean, the stats are out there and just not just Latinos, but people of color are woefully underrepresented as workers in the media. This is something I've written about actually recently for Colo News as well. So when you have that underrepresentation, it's difficult. What I found difficult as a young journalist was convincing my editors that stories about Latinos were important. 
what advice would you give to the next generation of journalists who are about to start their journalism career? Many journalism students are graduating this semester. So what are some words of advice that you would say to them? I would say this, we need you in journalism. You know, we need your voices. We need your insights. We need your perspectives. Because as I said, the numbers are, are pathetic in terms of Latino or just general representation of people of color in the media. I want to say we need you. Don't give up. You're going to maybe hit some obstacles. If this is something you really care about, you know, storytelling, breaking stereotypes, informing the public, creating change. If these are things you believe in, like don't give up on the profession because we need you and there is a place for you and the profession. Like maybe you'll go work for a newspaper or TV station that's more mainstream. That's great. But that's not the only path forward too. There's there's ethic media, there's independent media and the power of media or of the internet that didn't exist when I was getting started out. Like my first journalism class, we used typewriters. <laughs> that's all I am. But you can create your own media, you know? So like, hey, say you see a gap. Oh, there's not enough Latino music sites. Create one, right? That's the power of the internet and that people can create their own media. And, you know, there's a double-edged sword to that because there's a lot of disinformation out there. And there are some sites that are not credible and they traffic and, and disinformation or fake news, like real fake news. But with the training that the journalism students have, like if, if there is something you think is, is missing in the media, build it, create it. And, and that wasn't possible when I was graduating from college because the technology didn't exist. The tools didn't exist and now they do. So you can create your own media and your own stories. Don't give up. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Be sure to check out Digan Español's latest magazine issue when it releases on March 20th. Everyone is welcome to the launch party on March 22nd. Stay tuned for more. This is Rosara Montes. Have a great rest of your day.